We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome in to the LakersNation.com podcast. I'm Trevor Lane. You can find me on Twitter at Trevor underscore Lane, on Instagram at Trevor Lane NBA. We've got a special guest today. We've got Mark Medina from NBA.com. You can find him on Twitter at Mark G Medina. Mark, thank you so much for uh, for joining me here. Hey, Trevor. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, if you don't mind me adding in on the Twitter handle, it's uh, we got to add an oh, underscore, the underscore there. Yeah, the Mark G <laughs> underscore Medina. Apparently... Uh, there's another Mark Medina out there that has the full handle, so I had to settle for some special characters. Even with the with the G in the middle, you still had to add the the underscore to make to make it happen. But I bet that Mark Medina gets a lot of NBA stuff thrown thrown at him, and he's like, "What is happening?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't know any other Mark Medinas, but I guess they apparently do exist. So whether it's with the G initial or just the full name itself, maybe they do get all these. Uh, NBA questions that have, they have no idea where they're coming from. So, Mark, how is how is uh, we're in offseason mode here? Obviously, Lakers not playing the playoffs, but how are the playoffs treating you? You're covering the entire league now. You used to cover the Lakers. You covered the Lakers for a while, moved up. You were covering the Warriors for a bit. Now you're covering the entire NBA. How how is the playoffs treating you up to this point? Yeah, I mean, it's been uh, not, not to throw salt in the wound for Laker fans, but it's been a lot more fun basketball to watch because mm-hmm. the quality of play has been a lot better, more competitive. Um, if things haven't stopped, I've been busy, but uh, things have slowed down a little bit in the sense that I, because of where I am based in L.A., I, I went up to San Francisco for the Warriors' first two games uh, against the Denver Nuggets in the first round. But since then, I've been working remotely, watching games, working on long-term projects while we have uh, other people on our staff handling a lot uh, a lot of the other games that are closer in their backyard. So um, slow down a little bit, but it's going to start ramping up. I'm going to travel back up to San Francisco for games three and four against the Memphis Grizzlies of their second-round matchup. And then, you know, as the playoffs continue to advance, uh, I'm sure my travel itinerary will expand as well. We, we'll get to Lakers, of course. We're going to talk a ton of Lakers here. But I got to ask, since you're talking about Warriors and Grizzlies, what was your take on uh, on Dylan Brooks on that, that oh, foul? Yeah. Obviously terrible. Gary Payton II, I believe, believe it's going to be a fractured elbow. Their MRI is going to confirm that. How did you feel about that that situation? 
Yeah, it was a terrible play. Look, I'm not a, a psychology major. I, I don't uh, specialize in, in reading people's minds, so I don't know what the intent was. But it was a dangerous play. It was reckless, and I think I don't think Steve Kerr is uh, the Warriors coach is speaking in hyperbolic terms where he's saying, you know what, this broke a player, the player's code of making sure that if you're going to commit fouls, not to do something that could derail uh, a player's career. I understand that things move in real time and are fast, but you also have to recognize um, be able to make smart decisions here. And I thought, you know, the fact that that uh, play was a flagrant two automatic injection, that was correct. But the fact that that was seen from a technical standpoint on equal footing as the Draymond Green ejection, it, it's just a night and day. Draymond Green's was a lot less severe. It should have been a flagrant foul one. And I think, you know, when you're comparing and contrasting this, you know, with Draymond Green, with him hanging onto the jersey, that mitigated a potential fall where when you're looking at Dylan Brooks' situation, uh, there wasn't anything to soften that landing for Gary Payton. And, you know, the Warriors will have more uh, will have more information with the MRI to, to determining the severity of it, but that looks like a pretty bad injury. And you just never know not only the short-term implications, but the long-term. And the fact that, you know, Gary Payton II, he's a guy that was a journeyman. He's trying to get his foot in the NBA. He established himself this year uh, as a pretty good role player with the Warriors. You, you hate to see this kind of situation potentially affect his career for the worst, but we'll have to wait and see. Absolutely. And you hate to, you hate to compare too much. I've got, I've seen a lot of the, the reaction on social media has been why, what's Steve Kerr mad about? He's got Draymond Green on his team. Draymond Green has done da, 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 all the way through, through his career. He's had all these, these moments and things like that. And I, I think you have to separate this. You can't just look at, Oh, it's Draymond's fouls of his entire career. And so therefore the Warriors have nothing to be upset about. Look, I get that's kind of the initial reaction that we sometimes have. But when we look at that specific play, I think it was a very, very clearly a flagrant too. I think there could be a further suspension coming. That That's possible. Something the NBA has to look at just because the nature of the play and the injury that occurred. I mean, in theory, the the what happens after the play shouldn't play too huge of a role in terms of whether or not a flagrant foul is a flagrant foul. Like if the guy stays standing, is it still a flagrant foul, right? There's questions about that, but ultimately it was a dangerous play by, by Dylan Brooks. And I think the flagrant two call was correct. And that, uh, I wouldn't surprise me if the NBA does come back with something maybe later today about this in terms of, of the future for Dylan Brooks. Does he yeah. see a, a further suspension? Yeah, I would suspect that there will be a suspension. It's just a matter of how many games. Um, you know, I think objectively, look, I got to be clear, like the Warriors don't pay my checks. I don't care one way or the other, like a success or failure of a franchise. I, I, I'm rooting for good stories sure. and good competition, but you don't want to see injuries happen. And objectively speaking, uh, Draymond Green might have gotten a lot of technicals and flagrant fouls over his career, but he's never done this kind of play. And I know covering the Warriors as I did for two years, you know, day to day. And since then, uh, I think the Warriors, um, you know, when you talk to them, they're, they've been pretty honest with Draymond over the years. You know, when they feel that he had a technical that w that crossed the line, they let, they let him know about mm -hmm. it. I mean, they don't do the finger wag, go to your room, scolding kind of parenting toward him, but they're also very honest with him uh, both ways. And I think when you look at the flagrant, uh, two that he got, 
I think it was telling that when the Grizzlies fans were yelling, you know, kick them out, kick them out with a kind of frothy enthusiasm that you would see at like a, uh, you know, at a presidential rally, right? Um, they, Steve Kerr and Steph Curry were kind of laughing about it, like, oh, this is absurd. Uh, but as soon as the officials said, you know what, he's getting thrown out, they, they were irate. Um, but I know in the past, when he's gotten technicals, they've had talks with Draymond about trying to find a way to dial back. They never want to lose Draymond's intensity because, you know, when you add up all the things, that emotion and intensity helps the team more often than it hurts the Mm -hmm. team. Um, And they're also mindful that, look, like, Draymond's an intelligent player. It's not like he doesn't know how to play with that emotion without putting himself at risk and all that. He's had his hits, he's had his misses, but he has shown an ability to course correct and make adjustments. So I'm outlining all this to say that the Warriors have never been about coddling Draymond. They've been all about trying to be honest uh, and understanding where he comes from, but also you know, knowing what they need from him as a team. And with that, they have very practical and pragmatic conversations with him. So now when you're fast forward into this series and you're hearing the reactions, I think that this should illustrate that they're not coming from a place where they say Draymond can never do no wrong and we're always sure. getting screwed. They're always pretty even-handed about their commentary about things. So I think the fact that they're having this reaction shows how warranted it is because this series so far I don't think has been called correctly in both games when you're looking at the example of Draymond Green's flagrant two as well as Dylan Brooks's flagrant two and the, and the clear difference of the severity of those plays. It's certainly something that we could see the competition committee address this offseason. Um, in addition to, I know we know take fouls are something that's going to be on the on the plan in the plan for the NBA to look at. Maybe this situation comes up as well. We look at differences between what's called a flagrant two, what's not, all that sort of stuff. Um, one thing that has been very apparent watching the playoffs has been how different the level of play is when comparing it to what we've seen, what we saw from the Lakers for most of this season. That's been one thing that stood out to me like a sore thumb. The Lakers just never quite hit this level of play, this level of intensity. Um, when we're pointing the finger, we're, we're playing the blame game. What do you think caused the Lakers season to be such a, a disaster? I've been calling it the worst season in Lakers history relative to expectations. I don't know if you agree with that, but... I totally agree. Totally agree. Okay, so what what do you think caused all of this? Well, I don't think you can pinpoint uh, yes. one cause of it, but I think it, it's also important to note that you know when you when when we talk about with numerous problems, hey, you know both sides are to blame, or there's different factors. We can't absolve the percentage of the blame pie, right? So even if there's numerous factors here in play. It's all proportional. Mm -hmm. I think the majority of the blame first goes to the front office with how it constructed the roster. And there's so many elements of that. Giving up the depth to get Russell Westbrook. Signing a lot of veteran players that were past their prime and more susceptible to injury. Not addressing um, the defensive needs that the roster had before that won themselves a championship. So that's number one. Number two goes to Russell Westbrook, because even if he wasn't in a position to succeed, 
flawed roster around him, injuries, adjusting a new role. I do understand why the Lakers pulled the trigger on this deal because they rationalize in their mind, even if there's going to be hiccups with coexisting with LeBron James, Anthony Davis, even if there's new pieces that he has to get adjusted to, even if he has to get adjusted to just being back home, being with the Lakers, playing in a bigger market, they really lean on the fact that, you know what, Russell Westbrook is an all-star caliber player, and for all his warts of his style of play, he has shown that he can carry a team through the regular season and dominate. And he, he wasn't able to do any of that. He had maybe five games that he showed vintage Russell Westbrook. Mm-hmm. And other than that, it was a complete disaster. He was not good consistently as a third, second, first option on or off the ball. You know, Russell Westbrook can bemoan all he wants of, oh, his uneven rotations, not closing out the end of games. But are you going to really blame external factors on him missing open layups, bricking wide open jumpers, not trying on defense? No. Those are all things that all point to Russell Westbrook and Russell Westbrook only. So those are the two primary issues here. Um, and then, you know, you can't, you can't ignore the injuries, mm-hmm. obviously a lot of, uh, those injuries overlapping with each other with key role players, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis being in and out of the lineup at different points of the time. Surely that create a lot of challenges, but I think the injuries, those were symptoms of a major problem. Those weren't the only thing. So when you hear the rhetoric after the Lakes Lakers exit interviews or after the season of, Oh, you know, if only we were healthy, if you're going to take that at face value, that means that they are completely fine with running it back and keeping everyone on the roster and just saying, okay, let's see how next season goes with a clean bill of health. And you know what? They're not going to do that because they know that's an excuse. They know that this current roster is injury prone and they know that Russell Westbrook wasn't a good fit. So while injuries, you cannot ignore it. The fact that it was such a poorly constructed roster to begin with and Russell Westbrook is showing that he's not going to age gracefully toward the end of his career illustrated that uh, those were two major impediments to be able to overcome those obstacles. Um, So, yeah. uh, We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blame Rob Palinka and Russ for most of the ill wills, and uh, you know everything else were convenient issues with the injuries and Frank Vogel and and his ultimate firing.
I can't disagree with what with what you're saying there. I, I think that there are a lot of different things that you can point to. If you point to any one thing, that's not looking at the whole picture and fully understanding what happened here. So I'm glad you brought up multiple points there from Russ to the front office, injuries, Frank Vogel, everything else, right? All of the other things that, that have contributed to this Lakers season, which then leads us to what is probably going to be a, a very, very important summer here for the Los Angeles Lakers. I mean, perhaps one of the most important summers that they've ever had. And I, I don't want to be too dramatic here or anything like that. But when we're talking about potentially moving a 2027 first round pick, a 2029 first round pick, you're talking about decisions that could be affecting this franchise for what, seven, eight years to come. This is this is going to be a very, very important offseason. So let's start with the first thing that they did was let go of Frank Vogel. And obviously that was handled in a fairly sloppy way. In fact, it left a, a bad taste in the mouth of a lot of coaches around the NBA. Didn't like the way all that went down. And now we get news that Phil Jackson is involved in the decision-making process here for the Lakers in their search for a new head coach. What are your thoughts on the Lakers head coaching search? And is it a good thing that Phil Jackson is, is getting involved? Well, I think, you know, the devils are in the details. The Lakers have been operating on information vacuum. So we do know that, you know, they haven't really moved on the coaching search. That's not to say they haven't done anything, but obviously they haven't hired anyone. Um, you know, I think they outlined it pretty uh, honestly at the beginning that there was going to be thorough. They were going to take their time. And so when you connect the dots, clearly they're waiting for some of the dominoes to fall with the playoff exits, seeing if Quinn Snyder wants to leave Utah, see if Nick Nurse can get out of Toronto, see if, uh, you know, if the Sixers wind up getting eliminated, what happens to Doc Rivers. Um, but I think the bottom line with all this is there's no doubt for all of the warts that the Lakers are going through with where they're at in this uh, stage with their franchise, uh, they're not going to struggle with hiring a coach. But the New York Knicks don't struggle hiring a coach either because mm. they're the New York Knicks. The Lakers don't want to become the Knicks, but they're showing signs they have been with you know the lack of accountability and leadership with how they handled Frank Vogel's firing and just also the dynamic of what the front office is. And look, I'm someone who's written been on record praising how rob plank in the front office constructed the 2020 roster so it's not like they had all moments of failure with the lakers but i don't think that they handled not only the nature of frank vogel's hiring or firing correctly obviously with it, them allowing it to get leaked uh to woge before they even told frank vogel directly um but just the idea of what they're looking for in a coach um, I can't help but think about when they, uh, he and my, uh, when the Lakers and Mike D'Antoni parted ways, they had this whole idea that, hey, we're going to have this exhaustive search. We're going to find, you know, a really good coach that can handle Kobe Bryant through his last few years. And then they settled on Byron Scott. And look, I think Byron sometimes got unfair criticism because he had a bad roster some of the things that he had misgivings about the young roster, it wasn't just of, oh, Byron Scott being this old school coach. It was a sentiment that was shared with other people in the Lakers organization, as well as other people around the league of what they thought about the Lakers young core. But, uh, you know, he also had his shortcomings as a coach. And I, I can't help but wonder, do they do this whole dance of being thorough of talking to candidates and then they just go conventional and hire, you know, an unimaginative unimaginative guy 
And so when we connect the dots to that point, to Phil Jackson being consulted, I don't think it's a surprise. Mm-hmm. We saw Phil Jackson in a suite during one of the regular season games. He obviously has a connection with the Lakers, you know, with Jeannie Buss, with them being former partners. Obviously, what Jackson means to the organization as a coach itself. And Kurt Rambis worked with him. But if I had a if I had to take an educated guess on what this means, I'm more concerned than thrilled about Phil's involvement. And here's why. Look, no one can knock his coaching credentials and his basketball mind. He won 11 NBA championships. Mm-hmm. He knows what he's talking about. But you have to take the good and the bad. And his record as an executive wasn't good with the Knicks. And I can't help but wonder, will he make the same kind of repeated mistakes that he did with the Knicks of – not hiring the right coach, trying to impose his beliefs on a triangle offense that had success in the past, but isn't conducive to success in today's modern NBA. Uh, and I also fear that, um, you know, this is another example of there's just so many voices, to, yeah. so many cooks in the kitchen with the front office that it muddles kind of the decision making process. So, uh, you know. The Lakers have shown, both for better and for worse, that for whatever shortcomings the front office has with their dynamics, they've found ways to win, but they've also found ways to lose. And right now, I can't help but be concerned if I'm a Lakers fan of if this is the right scenario to deal with, knowing that there's so many challenges at play with how you get off a Russell Westbrook's contract, how do you find the right head coach, how do you find the right role players so that they can get back in a championship contention with LeBron James still on the team. That, that's exactly where I'm at with it as well. Because on the surface, when you look at this, you look at, okay, they're, they're consulting with Phil Jackson. Well, of course, right? He's, he's probably the greatest coach ever. So why wouldn't you talk to Phil Jackson? If you've got Phil Jackson on speed up, like, let's look at it this way. If I was looking to make an investment, I'm going to take my life savings and I'm going to make an investment in, in something. And it just so happens that I'm really good friends with Warren Buffett. I'm probably going to contact him, right? And I'm going to ask for his opinion. But the skill set that Phil Jackson used as a head coach doesn't necessarily translate to front office decisions. Those are two different different things. And that's where the concern comes in. And then the history that we've seen with the New York Knicks, I think on the surface, it makes sense. You're hiring a new head coach. You know, you've got a very close relationship with Phil Jackson, maybe the greatest head coach ever. You're going to bounce ideas off of him. Okay. But how big of a voice does he have in the decision-making process? And then, like you said, how many voices are actually involved in the Lakers front office? And does that complicate things in in trying to come to a decision on anything and to have any kind of a cohesive vision of exactly what this team is and what they are going to be? And the other thing that I think has given Lakers fans a lot of concern is when you look at the track record over the... I mean, you talked about Mike D'Antoni, Mike Brown, Byron Scott... Luke Walton. I mean, we go on and on and on. Like Frank Vogel, they they didn't set out to hire Frank Vogel. He wasn't the top guy on those. They won a championship, so that that worked out. But they were going after Monty Williams. They were going after Ty Lue. They kind of fell backwards into Frank Vogel as their head coach. So it's been a while since we've seen the Lakers target a specific head coach, and you walk away feeling like, okay, they got their guy. This is the guy that is going to really take this to the next level. So I think there's a lot of concern right now among Lakers fans about this hire. Where does LeBron James fit into all of this? 
Because I think that's the other voice that we haven't talked about yet. How much does LeBron's opinion matter in terms of who gets the job as, a, as the head coach? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I think LeBron James's opinion obviously matters because he's the star player. And, uh, you know, look, he's one of been the very few success stories with the Lakers that he played as if he was in his prime. Um, and while I think that there are questions to be asked of how healthy can he stay, he's had a lot of injuries uh, the last few years. Is that going to be a continuous pattern? When he's been on the floor, he hasn't slowed down. But I think his dominance has really, uh, I think, exposed the Lakers' issues even more, that he has played at his absolute mind as an MVP candidate, and yet they still can't uh, make the play-in tournament, let alone the playoffs, because the rest of the organization is so flawed. So, you know, I think that there's some sensitivity where, you know, LeBron James has had a history in his career of obviously uh, exerting his privileges that other superstar players have, of having a voice in the room, but I think that, you know, he takes exception to this idea that he's playing shadow GM, uh, that he's pulling the trigger. Um, no doubt, you know, he obviously has been a voice of the Lakers as he has been with, you know, other teams, but I think the Lakers, you know, have to take responsibility for either saying yes or no to him, mm -hmm. uh, because that's their job. Number one, but two, they know what they're working with, with the cap. They're evaluating, you know, basketball talent through the lens of roster construction, not what it's like to play with player X on the court. Um, and so I think, you know, when you listen to the rhetoric from LeBron and, and Rob Palenka, I think there's been a subtle shift where from both parties, they've made it clear that LeBron's going to have a voice, but it's going to ultimately be up to the front office on what decision they make. And I think that both parties <clears throat> have stressed that so that, you know, there's, I think, more of an accountability so that, you know, if a roster decision works or not, it's not going to be blamed on one particular individual. The buck will ultimately rest with the front office. Right. And we, we did see Rob Blake at his <laughs> interview during exit interviews where he he said it, it's on me. This is my decision and, and that sort of thing. So um, and that was to, to put it out there very publicly that that's that's the way. The situation works with LeBron James in the decision-making process. But I think the Lakers are in an interesting situation here. We're going to get to Russell Westbrook and what they do with him in just a moment. But with LeBron, contract extension could be signed as of August 4th. Does LeBron use that to try to incentivize the Lakers to do the things that they need to do this summer in terms of giving up future assets? Maybe it's future draft capital. Maybe it's future cap room, things like that. Uh, in order to build out a team that's more prepared to win this next season? Are we at a point where we could see conflict now? Up until this point, what's best for LeBron has largely been what's best for the Lakers as well. Will that will the same thing hold true this summer when we're talking about LeBron's contract extension and what future pieces the Lakers are willing to give up in order to try to fix the mess that was created for this past season? 
Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, obviously, we don't know. Um, and there's a lot of tea leaves that honestly could suggest either way. Sure. Um, I'll take the first point that you mentioned that, you know, so far what's been best for LeBron has mostly been best for the Lakers. Look, um, I think it's been well documented. Uh, there's been times the Lakers and LeBron have been in lockstep on a decision, and there's been times that they haven't been. But from a from a what does this mean moving forward, it didn't really matter because unlike his time with Cleveland, he wasn't on one-year deals mm-hmm. where there was that you know, unspoken leverage that if you don't do what I want, well, I can jet in a year. He was on a multi-year deal. And so I think that that illustrates even more while why I think the Lakers need to take accountability and could have taken accountability of, you know, they had a history of not listening to LeBron of, hey, they didn't hire his former coach in Cleveland and Ty Lue because they disagreed on the length and size of the contract and, uh, you know, imposing having certain assistant coaches on his staff. They didn't agree to making moves before the trade deadline uh, because they didn't want to give up that draft pick. Um, So while they may have listened to LeBron about getting Russell Westbrook and many, any other moves, obviously getting Anthony Davis. Um, if they said no to any of these scenarios, he still would have been under contract. So moving forward, um, you know, he's given mixed signals. I mean, he obviously talked to the athletics, Jason Lloyd before the all-star or during all-star weekend about how he hadn't shut the door on a potential Cleveland return. He's been on record saying that he wants to, uh, and his career, but with playing with his son, Bronny, mm-hmm. in the NBA. And if that's going to happen, it's going to require him, presumably, to go on a team that has a high draft pick. And maybe the Lakers are so bad that they have that, that it works itself out naturally. But I think, obviously, the Lakers and LeBron are of the mindset of, let's get back into championship contention. So if I had to guess, I think that uh, because he wants to play with Bronny, that you know, LeBron doesn't end his career with the Lakers, um, maybe, you know, just as a one-year farewell tour. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that that prevents him from signing the extension. Um, but I think, you know, if I'm connecting the dots, I have to stress no one's telling me this. This is just me using logic. I wouldn't be surprised if his willingness to sign an extension partly uh, comes from how do they handle the coaching search? How do they handle... Uh, the roster construction. So even if LeBron might have a, a a muted voice or isn't as vocal about what they do or don't do, uh, ultimately it will be about how well do the Lakers front office perform their job this summer with building a much more competitive roster that will leave him, you know, a lot more comfortable with where the Lakers are headed. So uh, it will be interesting to see because on one hand, the Lakers do have low-hanging fruit of, okay, they're now looking for a new coach. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of guys on veteran minimum deals that are going to be free agents. That opens up roster spots. But they also have a lot of challenges ahead of how do they find the right uh, players, role players that fit the roster needs. How do they get off of Russell Westbrook's contract? And what else do they do moving forward with the rest of the roster, of either potentially trading Anthony Davis or keeping them? Not a lot of... Uh, easy ways to navigate those things well i do agree i think that if lebron does sign that extension we're going to see a one plus one deal um, which has been pretty standard for lebron we saw it with the Cavs, where he's got a second year player option uh kendrick nunn has has that on his contract right now and he's picking up that player option for the second year so it's a pretty common thing in the league but a one plus one deal would allow lebron to be a free agent in 2024 
And that would be, in theory, when Bronny would hit the NBA and then he would be able to choose to go to whichever team. That's going to be really interesting to see, by the way. That'll How high does Bronny go in the draft? Because whoever picks him knows they're also getting LeBron for that season. That would be a very interesting dynamic that would be pretty unprecedented in the NBA draft. Uh, but like you said, that may not involve the Los Angeles Lakers. Russell Westbrook, though, this situation, I guess for, let's just start here. Can the Lakers, and I, I know logistically, you know, cap-wise, all that, he's got a player option. He's almost certainly picking that up, $47 million for next season. He's under contract. Therefore, if the Lakers don't do anything this summer, he's on the team next season. Okay, so just in terms of cap logistics and all that, yes, he could be a Laker next season. But in terms of the team, can they can they actually bring back Russell Westbrook next season? No. I mean, look, there might be some net improvement from last season of Russell Westbrook being able to play more games than 21 that he had with LeBron mm -hmm. James and Anthony Davis. Uh, the fact that he didn't see eye to eye with Frank Vogel, maybe you know, there's a better partnership with whoever they hire. But uh, Russell Westbrook has not you know, taken enough accountability for his own shortcomings. And I don't think that he's shown any encouraging signs that he's willing and able to adjust his game to account for a new role and also, you know, him gain up in age. So this whole idea that, oh, well, maybe the Lakers are better off just keeping him. Like, no, they're not. Like, they've been, they were terrible last year with him. And maybe it's not the same level of terribleness that they would if they, they run it back, but it would still be, it, it would still be terrible. So right now they have to cut their losses and accept the fact that Russell Westbrook's play and attitude has depressed his market so much that they're not going to get an all-star caliber player in a trade. I mean, the Washington Wizards weren't able to do that. They were only able to get him in a trade because they collected a handful of role players and a draft pick that the Lakers were willing to give up. They have to do the inverse of the, what the Washington Wizards did to them, of find a team that's willing to um, – deal some of the role players, maybe a draft pick just because they want to get rid of expiring contracts. And that's easier said than done, but I think it's obviously a lot easier to do that than trying to have this expectation that we're going to trade Russ for an all-star caliber player because of his credentials of what he's shown earlier in his career. That's just not going to happen. But if that plan A doesn't work, they then just have to have tough conversations with Russ of negotiating a buyout. Um, of, of just really pinpointing it to him. Look, you weren't happy here last year. And just because there's a new head coach, it might be the same issues again. Let's negotiate a buyout so that you have more freedom to find a team that you'll be more comfortable playing with. It's gonna, it would be a tough conversation to have because he's got $47 million on his player mm -hmm. option, but that's why you negotiate a buyout with the idea of, hey, here's extra money. We're eating our losses so you can get out of here. and But also pinpoint it to him of, hey, this could be better for your career because you this gives you uh, you know more flexibility of finding a team that would be a better fit, even if it results in a substantial pay cut. But hence why we're giving you this buyout. Um, this idea that you know maybe just considering running back, I mean, were they not watching last season with how terrible it was? It's just a non-starter across the board. I mean, we heard Russ, LeBron, AD, they all mentioned that they hadn't played that many games together, but the games that we did see were not good. 
And I think there's already that kind of divide between the Lakers fan base and and Russell Westbrook. We've certainly seen that as well. It just it doesn't feel like it's a workable scenario to bring him back. But other teams in the NBA see that too. So what's that trade market going to look like when 29 teams know, like you just said, that you can't really bring Russ back next season? I have a feeling there's going to be some options on the table for the Lakers on the trade front, but they're not going to be very good ones. I think teams are going to try to take advantage of that perceived desperation that we'll see from the Lakers to move on from Russ. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Without a doubt. And that explains why I was mentioning about, I mean, the Lakers do have to move the goalposts. It's not about getting all-star players. It's about getting role players. And, you know, look, maybe you can look at it through two lenses of, oh, well, you know, these teams are going to try to take advantage of the Lakers. But they also have to know when it's time to cut their losses. Yeah. Like, again, Russ's fit was not good uh, in most ways, shape, or form. And it's not going to be substantially better just because they're going to presumably play more games together and there's a new coach. I mean, one, we don't know how healthy LeBron James and Anthony Davis are going to be. So there is going to be a scenario where, again, it's going to have to be on Russ to figure out how does he adjust from being number one, number two, number three, as well, again, of playing with the new guys. There's going to be new t- guys on the team. Um, so, again, like – even if there are teams ready to kind of kick the Lakers while they're down, mm. I would argue that they're better off getting rid of a dead weight than just keeping it, right? I mean, that's just how severe it is. Yeah, it, it definitely did not work out the way that they were hoping that it would, and one of the big moves for this offseason is going to be eventually moving on from Russell Westbrook, whether that's via trade, buyout, We'll have to see what ultimately happens. There's there's a lot. There's a lot on the Lakers front office. Rob Palenka, whoever it is that, that's involved in the decision-making process. Kurt and Linda Rambis, Jeannie Buss, Phil Jackson, Magic Johnson, maybe, who knows, uh, that are getting involved in the decision-making process for the Lakers. But there's a lot to do this offseason. Going to be a very, very, very busy summer. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for, for coming on here and joining and talking Lakers. I know everybody's really focused in on uh, on the playoffs right now, and I know you've been certainly busy with all of that, so I appreciate you taking the time to talk a little Lakers basketball with us here. Hey, Trevor, thanks for having me. Always fun to talk Lakers with you. All right, everybody, make sure you do go follow Mark over on Twitter at G underscore Medina. you got to make sure that you put in that that underscore. Great stuff there. And you can find his work on NBA.com. And of course, make sure you guys are subscribing to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. Don't forget to turn on those notifications as well. Over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, you can find the audio version of the LakersNation.com podcast. Till next time, everybody. See ya and stay safe. Mother's Day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. 
And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.